0: Welcome to Kentucky History and Haunts. My name is Jesse Bartholomew. For our very first episode, I thought I'd tell you a story about a man from my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. His name was William Creel, and he was a butcher. His shop was located on Green Street, which is now Liberty Street, downtown. Publicly, he was known as a generally good, honest man. He did well financially. In fact, they were considered wealthy. But behind the scenes, William was an alcoholic who spent his free time beating his wife, Margaret Evans Creel, who was described as fragile and delicate, of feeble health, but also one of the most amiable women. At the time of our story, they'd been married 15 years and they had one son. In March of 1868, Margaret was either 32 or 38 years old. There are conflicting reports, but what we know for sure is that she was not in good health. She was suffering from some sort of illness and she decided it would be in her best interest to leave her husband. According to court documents, they had recently, quote, had disturbances. They had divided their property and Margaret had already moved all of her clothing out of the home they shared she moved into either her mother or her sister's house, or they may have shared a home uh, on Main Street in Louisville. And when she moved out, William Creel responded by going on an alcoholic bender. And on March 5th, the press reported that he visited her at her mother or sister's house and quote, abused her shamefully. They were able to get rid of him that time. They got him to go away, but he came back two days later on March 7th to see if she was really serious about leaving him. She responded by trying to explain to him that she needed to get away because she was so ill and her doctors had advised her that she needed to go out on her own to relax, like maybe go off to the country, have some time alone to just recover. He responded by choking her at the dinner table, where she and her mother were sitting, while her sister was upstairs. So, eventually he lets go of her, and her mom picks her up and is holding Margaret in her lap, when William Creel shoots Margaret, two inches above the left ear, killing her instantly. Then, William turned the gun on himself and pulled the trigger— a bullet lodged into his scalp without even fracturing his skull. And that's when the noise brought Margaret's sister, Rosa Tolbert, down to see the incident and see what was going on. Um, And apparently Rosa, uh, Margaret's sister, had made a rude comment about the butcher, about William, a few weeks before this. And so when she entered the room, he shot at her twice. Luckily, both bullets missed. The gun was a six-shooter. It had two bullets left. So he turned it back on himself again, and he shot himself twice more in the head. Uh, Maybe because he was drunk, both bullets merely grazed his scalp. So maybe he tried to kill himself. Maybe he just wanted it to look like he was trying to kill himself. But he's now missed three times. And at that point, he saw a crowd gathering outside the home wanting to see what all the commotion was about. So he runs out of the house and he starts running for his life. But neighbors followed him and they captured him at a pork house on Beargrass Creek. He was delivered to jail where it took him over a week to dry out and sober up so that he could, you know, tell his side of the story. At the time of the murder, there were two major daily publications in Louisville, The Courier and The Journal. They hadn't merged yet. And they both repeated announcements stating that William Creel's death from delirium tremens was expected at any time. They were hearing that this guy was totally off his rocker and he'd shot himself in the head and surely he wouldn't survive much longer. During lucid moments, Creel told the police that Mrs. Tolbert, Margaret's sister, had fired at him first, and so he was only protecting himself when he shot back, and during that crossfire is when he accidentally shot his wife. The police weren't buying it because the evidence indicated that muzzle was directly against her head when she was shot. Okay. Her funeral was on March 9th at the Shelby Street Methodist Church, and it was one of the largest ever held in Louisville up to that date. Rev. J.W. Cunningham preached a pointed sermon about the dangers of alcohol and wenching, and he urged husbands to be faithful and kind to their wives, and Mr. Creel was not in attendance. He was, however, able to wobble into circuit court on March 18th, where he burst into tears. Bail was set at $10,000, His relatives refused to risk their savings and property on his behalf. This caused a rift between he and his family members. And when he realized he wouldn't make bail, he and his lawyers decided it was time to claim he was insane. The trial lasted only four days in January of 1869. Margaret's mother and sister gave their testimony And then the defense used a doctor named J.W. Knight. So here was their angle. Um, J.W. Knight testified, quote, The liquor used nowadays not only intoxicates, but deranges many who drink it. That has been my experience in this city. In 1812 and 1813, liquor did not hurt men. Now it poisons many of them, affects the brain and the whole nervous system. Modern whiskey has strychnine and fish berries in it and deranges the mind. Men under the influence of this liquor and who have been habitually drunk are often so affected thereby that they do not know what they are doing. Okay, there you have it so i didn't know what fish berries were fish berries anamurita cocculus is a southeast asian and indian climbing plant its fruit is the source of picrotoxin a poisonous compound with stimulant properties the plant is large stemmed the bark is corky, gray with white wood dried fish berries were used to catch fish So the doctor is arguing that these new ingredients they're adding to liquor is making men crazy and therefore they can't be held accountable for their actions? Apparently, though, multiple credible witnesses can attest to his sober appearance the day before the shooting, into nightfall the night before, and even the next day, down to within a few minutes of the homicide. In the face of such a defense, the verdict was a foregone conclusion, guilty with a recommendation of capital punishment. The date of execution was delayed four times by then-Governor Stevenson, and many believed that Creel would never pay the ultimate price for his crime. They set the date for January 21, 1870, and the governor was inundated with petitions signed by people who thought Creel's life should be spared. Creel's attorney, General W.I. Jackson, presented the petition to Governor Stevenson and also sat in his office for two hours arguing that his client's life should be spared. The governor was undeterred by sentimentality and refused to intervene. The day before Creel was scheduled to hang, General Jackson made a motion for a new trial on the grounds that he had just discovered more evidence that the prisoner was insane. Courts refused to grant a new trial. Then Creel telegraphed the governor, asking for just a few more days to prepare himself for death. He got no response. Now, by this time, the Courier and the Journal had actually merged. So it was the Courier-Journal. And they sent a reporter to visit Creel during his last night. And he did grant them an interview. And he said that he knew absolutely nothing about his wife's murder. And then he went on this rant. And he complained that the newspapers had prejudiced the community against him. He said the trial had been unfair. He implied that witnesses against him had been bribed and he declared that he couldn't have killed his wife in the manner suggested by the prosecution. He added at the end that he did believe in God, and he hoped that he would meet his Margaret in heaven. The gallows were constructed on 15th Street. Um, At the time, executions in Louisville were still held in public. So William Creel woke early on the morning of January 21st, 1870, and said goodbye to his 14-year-old son, and his brother George. At 1 30 p.m. Creel, 46 years old and dressed in black, walked to the scaffold as 10,000 people scrutinized him for signs of weakness. Interestingly, a large number of spectators were women. He was so calm that several onlookers believed he must have been drugged. He did have a last request He asked that his sister receive his hat and pistol, the same weapon with which he had killed his wife. The crowd appeared to sympathize with Creel when Reverend Perkins offered a prayer. Many people in the crowd were crying, but no one maybe was more solemn than Sheriff J.M. Martin, a longtime friend of the man he was about to execute and it turns out several of the policemen who accompanied Creel to the gallows had been his schoolmates. After a few prayers, he was duly pinioned and capped, and when the sheriff asked if he had anything to say, Creel replied, quote, No, it would only create talk. At precisely 1.34 p.m., the trap was sprung, and the butcher died instantly. The C.J. eulogized him, quote, Billy Creel had at last paid the great penalty, but died believing that he had found forgiveness. Now, it's kind of interesting. There was some back and forth by people um, writing letters like to the opinion section of the Courier Journal um, about executions and public executions. So, the CJ published a letter from this one citizen who called himself W., and he complained that executions ought not to be held in public, and in fact, ought not to be held at all. And then someone wrote back a couple days later, and they called themselves Justice. And they went back and forth about, about capital murder. And it just goes to show that we are still, you know, we've been having this conversation for centuries, uh, interestingly the courier journal agreed with W that hangings should be private but also agreed with justice that quote a few fashionable convictions and first class hangings especially among moneyed murderers were necessary to keep society safe After the hanging Creel's relatives took his remains to the receiving vault at Cave Hill Cemetery to await interment This thwarted the intentions of a professor named A.T. Keckler, who had traveled from Cincinnati in hopes of procuring the murderer's head. There's one more crazy part of this story. It's not over yet. There was this other publication. It was called the Louisville Commercial, and it was only around from 1869 to, I think, 1902. And on January 26th, after the hanging, they published this story about William Creel not being dead. So the story went that he had been coffined and carted off to Cave Hill, but then three men had opened the vault and carried his corpse to this surgeon, And as a dozen medical students watched, the doctor restored him to life with a galvanic battery. Then they gave their subject a change of clothes and money. And then this resurrected William Creel left town and disappeared. (laughs) Some people took this story so seriously. I mean, people were like up in arms over this. So they opened his vault to make sure that he was still there turns out he was still in the coffin right where the sheriff had left him that's gonna do it for the very first episode of kentucky history and haunts i hope you guys enjoyed that got a little chuckle out of it maybe if nothing else there at the end um this show is brand new so you can help me by sharing it with all your friends and family and strangers be sure to follow the all the social media uh at ky history haunts on instagram and twitter you can search kentucky history and haunts on facebook and it'll come right up also there is a website kyhistoryhaunts.com more information photos links videos about all the episodes i'm going to put out and um yeah, be sure to subscribe and review the show. All right, you all, that's uh, that's all I got. So thanks again for listening, and take care, and I'll see you next time.